Blog Talk Radio. Mysteries on the BookSpeak Network. I'm Sherry Knowlton. Um, I write the Alexa Williams series, uh, suspense series of books, Dead of Autumn, Dead of Summer, Dead of Spring, and my latest, Dead of Winter. Hi, everybody. I'm J.M. West. I write the Carlisle Crime Cases series, Dying for Vengeance, Courting Doubt and Darkness, Darkness at First Light, How to Die in Fall, and my latest, um, released this past September, is titled Things Strangled, all featuring Carlisle homicide detectives Christopher Snow and Aaron McCoy. And we realize that this COVID-19 crisis is uppermost in everyone's minds, as it should be. And we hope you all are staying home and staying healthy and following the experts' advice. Discovering new authors and listening to podcasts are an excellent way to pass the time at home. So we welcome all those listeners out there. Often, as our regular listeners know, we feature fellow Milford House authors uh, and interview them. And today we're pleased to have Lori Egan, a versatile and prolific writer, joining us from New Jersey. Lori is the author of A Bittersweet Tale, The Ungodly Hour, The Outcast Oracle, Fog and Other Stories, Jenny Kidd, and Fabulous, An Opera Buffa Beyond. Her fiction runs from psychological suspense, sometimes with elements of dark romance, such as in A Bittersweet Tale, to young adult comedy. More recently, she has turned to literary fiction with her upcoming novel, The Swimmer, forthcoming in 2021. And Laurie is also a poet with a BFA from Carnegie Mellon University. She has four limited edition collections in print, Snow, Shadows, A Stranger, Beneath the Lion's Paw, The Sea and Beyond, and The Presence and Absence. Her fiction and poetry have won a number of accolades, including nominations for two pushcart prizes. One of her books, The Outcast Oracle, was named Best of 2013 Books by Kirkus Reviews. And I'd be interested to know if your novels are connected or standalone. So welcome to the Milford House Mysteries, Laurie. Thank you very much, Jody and Sherry. I really appreciate being here. It's, it's a great way to spend an afternoon. Yes, and um, here in Pennsylvania, it's a very rainy afternoon. Well, we're going to get it in a bit, too. Um, <laughs> yeah, these books are all standalone. There are, there are no um, series or anything like that, uh, although I've been tempted a few times. <laughs> mm. Thanks. Okay. Well, then that, that sort of opens the door to um, what we were going to ask you first, which is basically, Lori, if you could tell 
us some, you know, fundamental information about you and your writing. Um, your writing runs the gamut from fiction to poetry, from novels to, to short stories. Uh, you have a variety of audiences from young adult to adult. Tell us how that um, eclectic or maybe the better word is comprehensive approach uh, developed. Uh, and um, as you write in all of those different genres and approaches, does your writing involve in a different way uh, for each? Um, does your, uh, you know, do, do, do you do things differently depending on the, the type of thing that you're writing? Well, that's a long question here. Um, I yeah, started it is. Writing. So it gives you a broad, <laughs> broad base to just tell us whatever you want. Um, I started writing poetry when I was seven. So poetry was my first real uh, interest in in, in uh, the whole thing. And then I wrote my first novel. I started when I was 12 and finished it when I was 13. And some short stories in high school. So... I have written poetry from the beginning and all the way through, but I turned away for a period of many years while I was a book designer, mostly at Princeton University Press, and then other publishers, so I've got a really strong publishing background. Um, as far as my work goes, I tend to let each particular project find its own way, and depending on the novel, uh, sometimes it's a voice that comes to me, and that has certainly been the case for A Bittersweet Tale, uh, the most recent book um, that was just published in December. Um, so it, they all have evolved in a little different way. Um, I do like writing short stories because sometimes that's just about the amount of information or amount of idea that I have uh, to put out, and they were important when I was first starting to sort of create a strong resume and learn the craft of writing, too. So. Hmm. Well, my first love was poetry, too, um, but I found that's not uh, very lucrative. No. Um, <laughs> uh, no. I read that you were inspired by the Laurel Highlands in Pennsylvania in writing Bittersweet, Bittersweet Tale. It's the story of Django, a Korean War vet, who is an itinerant worker, and a sweet-natured guy who left Kentucky decades ago and lands in the Laurel Highlands of Pennsylvania in 1984. Django's pockets are empty, he's hungry and needs a job, and after answering an ad for a farmhand, he's hired by a recent widow, Audrey Dalton. So how did Django's story transpire? Was the scenery, or an, you said, this, or an incident, the inspiration? Well, um, I had been to the Laurel Highlands. I'm also a fine arts photographer, so I had been on a, a shoot of my own um, over there, and so I had some visual documentation as well as having physically been there. Um, and I had been there when I was in college at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh as well. So I had sort of the setting in the back of my mind. But then one day um, I woke up and the name Django Jax was in my head. And I I don't know, I, I thought that was a pretty strange name. So I came into the computer and typed it in as a Word document. And out he came, uh, which is not such an unusual sort of channeling experience for me. It, it, it has happened on other uh, stories and books. But Django really sort of came through, his voice, his um, history, how he looked, 
I uh, sort of pictured him as sort of a Nick Nolte type, um, you know, sort of very masculine, a little rough, but with a tender side to him. So mm-hmm. actually, this book was mostly inspired by the name, uh, and it was originally a long, short story that was published, and then I decided I wasn't finished with Django, or he wasn't finished with me, whichever it was, and so I decided to make it into a novel. Yeah, on the That's cover he looks a little bit like a cowboy. Pardon? Oh, on, the cover. on the cover he looks a little bit like a cowboy. If that's Django. Uh, yeah, he's sort of an East Coast version. He stays pretty much uh, between uh, Kentucky area, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and then he goes up uh, to some of the wine picking districts um, in New York State. So he stays pretty much on mm. the East Coast. That's a, an interesting approach to to sort of expand a short story, um, but you describe the book as a quote dark romance, uh, and uh, it's categorized on uh, Amazon, for instance, as a psychological theory uh, thriller. Um, according to the reviews, a bittersweet tale is both structurally complex. And it also deals with some fairly weighty issues like hypocrisy, rejection, the use of religion to to justify questionable actions, and more. And um, you use different points of view and narrative twists. Uh, One reviewer talked about you peeling the onion. Um, And, you know, I'm big on plotting when I write, but it sounds like this um, novel is very complex, and was putting all of those layers together in the right way um, a difficult task? Well, it was something I hadn't done before uh, because I usually tend to be a little bit more of a linear writer than many uh, of the writers that I'm reading right now, as a matter of fact. Um, because I started out with as a long short story, I had Django's perspective down well, but then I got to the point when I wanted to expand the novel that I realized throwing uh, two other characters, uh, Audrey Dalton is one of them and then her attorney is another, into uh, having their own chapters and their own point of view actually helped me sort of muddy the waters a little bit um, so that you don't know quite who's telling the truth um, and to give other perspectives or other bits of information that you can't do uh, from, you know, just from one perspective. So it w- it was a little tricky. I haven't done it before, but I, I actually, this is still pretty linear story. So it wasn't as hard for me to do this one um, as maybe I think some people would have trouble with much more complicated plot structure. Hmm. Okay. It's interesting. It's a you know the contrast to go from writing fiction you know, with all the structural elements that's entailed, like character development and plot, narration, setting, and themes, to the tighter structure or strictures of short stories and poetry. Um, is the transla- translation difficult, or the juggling genres? You know, which one takes precedence, or how do you approach all these multi-genres? Well, I think writing poetry uh, is the hardest for me to go from prose to poetry or vice versa. Um, I tend to write poetry in batches when I've got something I'm I'm working on in my head. 
Uh, it could be a, uh, something that's happened or an emotional uh, thing going on or an idea. Uh, so I don't write poetry um, on a regular basis anymore. I used to, but I don't now. Um, short stories usually have a very uh, different kind of approach. It's a, it's it's like a little quick bite, and then even if it's five thousand words or so, um, you have to get it right. However, you have to still engage the reader and do the same kinds of things in terms of creating a a, a plot arc and to have a hook up at the beginning so that the reader is really curious to read on. So the structure is sort of similar, but writing novels is more complicated and allows you a little more elbow room, if you will, um, to expand on different ideas. You get more themes in those usually, and you know usually you have more characters as well. So there's a lot more to juggle with a novel. And of the three, I, I, I really pretty much am working on my novels for the most part at this point. Mm. Okay. Well, as you mentioned, uh, Lori, before, you're a fine arts photographer, a very successful fine arts photographer. Um, and just to, to let our listeners know, your photography has appeared in books, on the book covers of over 60 books, um, as a cover design in newspapers like the New York Times and magazines like Opera. You must love Opera. Um, I, I see do, that yeah. you've worked as a freelancer for uh, Lincoln Center organizations and the Opera Com- Company of Philadelphia and uh, Placido Domingo's children's charity at the Washington Opera and the Met. Um, and you have some of your photographs are in the archives of the Metropolitan Opera uh, and composer Philip Glass, uh, and you photographed the world premiere of The Voyage by Glass. Um, with, with all of that huge visual background, um, I, I wanted to ask if you think that your photography influences the way you write. Um, you know, I think I looked at the, the photography on your website, very beautiful images, much less dark, though, than the themes in your novels. Um, and I just wondered how the juxtaposition of your visual work uh, and your written work, if you can sort of just expound on that for a little bit, what your thoughts are. Well, when I began writing poetry uh, when I was a child, uh, I lived actually very close to where I live now, and it's a really beautiful, interesting area. I look out over the ocean, Sandy Hook, Manhattan in the distance, and then when I was growing up, I had a forest behind me. So the natural world was really um, my muse uh, when I was a child, and it still is for a certain, you know, to a certain extent. Um, And that that also segued into my photography. Um, a Bittersweet Tale actually has a, a really um, strong emphasis on setting in the environment because this mm-hmm. is a man of the earth, and he uh, would naturally notice things like cornflowers and and various things like that. And so I think that the, the visual acuity that I've developed from being a fine arts photographer has helped uh, make me more aware of my surroundings and has allowed me to sort of um, concentrate on that. In fact, I often have to cut a fair amount out because I get a little too carried away with uh, the visuals. 
But I think that that's a really important quality for any writer is to notice things and to be a good observer. And I was as a child, and I think that sort of put me on the road to writing, as a matter of fact, um, because I think that's a prerequisite. Um, so I think my, I think the visuals, plus you know the newest novel I have, The Ungodly Hour, is set in Mykonos, and I've been there three times as a photographer and so as a result i have you know real wealth of imagery uh that i could draw upon Uh, and then taking the photograph actually you know sticks it in your head in a way that maybe just being there doesn't do it so i think that the 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 two were really naturally um interwoven in terms of um, my writing and my photography oh so so you're saying that they're complementary Pardon? Are you saying that they're complementary? I think so, yeah. I think they, they both uh, help each other, and the skills involved help each other. Uh, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. That's interesting. I infer from your bio that you have different publishers. You know, People always ask us about the publication process. Um, getting published is usually the ultimate goal of writers, so how do you approach finding a home for each of your works? Well, that has gotten consistently more difficult as uh, as time has gone on, and you know the competition has gotten really, really strong because so many of these small publishers are just getting bombarded. My problem has been because I write in slightly different um areas for different readers uh, that sometimes I've had to switch publishers because of that. Two of my books, um, Fog and Other Stories and The Ungodly Hour, were published by the Humanist Press, which is part of the American Humanist Association. So they were looking for things dealing with religion uh, and secular views on that. So they're obviously not going to be a publisher I can return to very easily um, and then my last, one of my last publishers, who was just wonderful to work with, who did fabulous, were really just interested in comedy. So I don't write comedy all that often, although I had a great deal of fun with that book. Um, uh-huh. And so as a result, I've had, you know, I've had to go to different publishers accordingly. And right now I'm doing more literary work, so that, again, entails a little different set of uh, publishers to submit to because I'm not really writing um, a genre piece anymore. At least the last Mm. three books haven't been. Well, can can you tell us a little bit more about The Ungodly Hour? Well, this one is, um, as I say, it's set in Mykonos, and I, 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 I used a photographer as the main character, and she's working, uh, doing workshops there uh, and giving assignments. So I had a lot of fun writing those up because I also teach photography here to adult students. So I had that involvement uh, in the book. But I wanted to contrast the, the bright, sunny, cheerful, happy exuberance of the island with uh, some murders and some uh, religious protesters that are very um, anti-gay because this is a very you know strong gay mecca. So the mm. book is uh, really in contrast uh, between you know the cheerfulness of the island, which is a very important part of of the book, as well as uh, these dark goings on. That's interesting. I was to Mykonos once years and years ago when we were sailing through the the different islands and 
spent a couple days there, and I've always said, well, I want to go back someday. Uh, well, you should. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think Greece is on our list, but my list is very, very long of places to go. So it would be a return trip. Um, the the swimmer, um, which you mentioned a little while ago, is you know uh, another foray into literary fiction. Um, I, I know that some authors don't really like to talk about works in process. So if that if you're not comfortable doing that, um, you know, just tell us. Um, but if um, you are, um, is there anything you want to share about the the swimmer? Well, this one um, actually came out of uh, uh, my partner had pancreatic cancer, and so I had a lot of information about the process, uh, you know, from early days of the diagnosis to to death. So that was in the back of my mind, and um, so I wrote about the psychotherapist who goes to uh, Truro on Cape Cod to sort of, you know, get her head together and decide what she's going to do and how she's going to approach the end, so to speak, because she's already outlived her prognosis. So she's there, and again, this is a beautiful setting, and yet um, she's really wrestling with various things. And then she meets this amazingly handsome man who is swimming out in the water, and he comes in and they start talking, and then they become involved. But there's some magical realism in this book, which was the first time I have really attempted that. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so uh, the swimmer is um, both her and him, in a sense, and I'm not going to tell more about it than that. It is a finished book. In fact, it's being formatted right now. So, oh, okay. Um, I'm really, I'm really excited about this one, and it's going to be published by Heliotrope Books, a uh, small independent publisher in New York City. Um, they've been great so far to work with. Um, so, you know, that's coming out, and then I have two, two or th- I have three or four actually other manuscripts out under submission right now. My gosh, you're a busy woman. <laughs> you are amazing. <laughs> what are they? Well, I have my favorite one, which I I haven't had any luck with yet so far, is called Once Upon an Island, and it's set on St. Croix in 1965. Uh, and I was there with my mother, who was a painter, um, and she was working, and I met this very interesting woman who, who was a widow from Czechoslovakia and who had been in the war, and so this sort of uh, is got a little bit of an autobiographical feel to it. I mean, there's a lot in there that didn't happen at all that I just made up. But I really, it was so much fun to go back to that island in my memory, in my mind, looking at my old photos and little things, and then meeting a lot of uh, people online on Facebook that um, are from St. Croix. So that's one project, and then I have another one about an opera composer who has been granted a house on the main coast. It's called Wave in D Minor, and I really love this book. Um, it's got a lot of strong themes. She is writing an opera about the relationships between Vita Sackville West and Virginia Woolf, so I got to oh. write some lyrics for the opera <laughs> based on their letters. Uh, that was great fun, and then I've got a couple of other projects, too. Oh my! You must spend all of your time doing one or the other. 
Yes. Um, thank you very much for yeah, um, Laurie for co- coming onto the podcast today. And between writing in so many genres, your photography and your other interests, you're a real Renaissance woman. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with us and our audience, like where readers um, can get your books and follow you on social media? Yeah, I'm um, on Facebook, uh, Laurie A. Egan. And um, that's also for my website, which would be uh, laurieaegan.com. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I think people would enjoy A Bittersweet Tale in particular because it's really a sort of a dark, interesting story. Um, and I, I think it's, a, you know, it's an interesting approach, a little different kind of main character. So, yeah, that, that would be what I would say. Okay. Hmm. Well, um, I, I, it does sound interesting. I was I was sorry I didn't have a chance to to read it um, before we interviewed you here because uh, it just sounds sort of dark, but but very interesting. So best of luck with uh, a bittersweet tale and all your other writing projects, uh, and of course your photography. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, It's been my pleasure. Thank you both. (laughs) And a reminder to all your readers and listeners, our books are available at Sunbury Press's online bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online retailers and bookstores. And and also, any independent uh, bookseller can order them. And a special thanks to all of you for listening to the Milford House Mysteries. We hope you enjoyed our program, and our next podcast will be on May 21st at 2.30 p.m. when we will interview another mystery author. In the meantime, you can listen to any of our past podcasts that you may have missed. Just search Milford House Mysteries on the BookSpeak Network at www.blogtalk.radio. Um, We interview authors and feature writing topics and tips like uh, April 9th setting as character in addition to interviewing um, a lot of uh, very talented authors. So please follow us on social media as well. I'm on the web at www.sherrynolton.com plus Facebook and Twitter. And I'm on facebook.com slash Cases by J.M. West. And my website is www.carlottecrimecases.com, all lowercase. So thanks again, Laurie, for joining us. And until next time. Yes, thank you very much, Laurie. And thank you all for listening.